these faces over here. Just, we moved some seats around so people are not where they should be. <sighs> Abby, come on up. Open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3. Kids, time out. Just wait. Just sit where you are for a second. I'm going to make you listen to the Bible. Okay, we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 3. You've heard it, you're going to hear it again, and you're going to hear it again. So it says Proverbs chapter 3, it's a really important chapter in the Bible, teaches us a lot of things. I'm stalling while people get to their, their, their places. Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. You ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Listen up. My son, forget not my law, but let thy heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace will, add, will they add to thee. Let not kindness and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon thy tablet of thy heart. So shalt thy, thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in Jehovah with all thy heart and lean up, not upon thine own understanding. In thy ways acknowledge that him and he will direct thy paths. Be not wise in thy own eyes. Fear Jehovah and depart from evil. It will be health to thy navel and mar marrow to thy bones. Honor Jehovah with thy substance and with thy first fruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy vats shall overflow with new wine. My son despise not chastening of Jehovah, neither be weary of his reproof, for whom Jehovah lay, loveth he reproof, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3. Is that the authorized version? I haven't heard that one in a while. Nah, it'll come up again. American Standard, gotcha. ASV. King's Kids, if you're in second grade on down, you are dismissed. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. King's Kids workers start prepping for a dozen. We've been hovering like six or seven for a while. We're, we're at a dozen. They know that I'm getting ready to pack Easter eggs. I can see it in the way they walk. <clears throat> so Proverbs chapter three. <clears throat> Context. Solomon. The voice of Solomon as the king is writing to not just his own son, but a line of kings who are going to come, not just through him, but through his father, King David. King David had a promise from God that if he were going to keep the covenant, walk in God's ways, and if David teaches his sons right, and his sons keep the covenant and walk in God's ways, God says you will never lack a son to sit upon the throne. And on top of that, coming from you, David, is going to be someone who has an eternal throne. So it's kind of a two-in-one there. And David falls on his face when he hears this from God. Like, what? I don't deserve that. Why would God take notice of me? I just want to serve. David knows he's flawed. David knows he's not perfect. But he does love the Lord with all of his heart. Doesn't always act like it. So guess what that means? It means it's also possible for you 
to have the heart of David, even though you sin, even though you fall short of God's glory, God knows that, it's still possible to reorient and focus your life on God in such a way that He is the most important thing. So here's Solomon is writing, what does that look like? My son, here's what that looks like. This Old Testament passage, Proverbs 3, the best way I could describe it is this passage drips with old covenant language, old covenant promises, and old covenant expectations. As the church, we live under the new covenant. Jesus made that clear. Before he went to the cross, he celebrated one final meal with his disciples and he instituted what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And he said, the new covenant is in my blood. Proverbs is the perspective of old covenant. We are a people of new covenant. Context, when we read back into the old covenant, we need to understand it's the old covenant. Some of the things there will apply to us. Some of the things written there will stay there. We have to be careful. The new covenant that we live in was written about, longed for, and looked for by Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets. They're pointing towards the new covenant. They know they can't keep it. Even Moses knows they can't keep it. Before Moses dies, he goes on this preaching rampage. I love it. He said, you are going into the promised land. Keep the covenant. Oh, I know you can't. He's, it's, it's, he's, he starts off with this huge, go get them boys, but he keeps injecting in there like, you can't. You can't. You're a stubborn and stiff-necked people. And even Moses is looking beyond the promised land to a promised one. Who would, in the words of the Old Testament, write a new covenant on your heart? What is a covenant? Let's, let's define that first of all. So write this down. Covenant. What is a covenant? Any covenant is a formal relationship between two parties who agree to a set of promises so they can work for a common goal. Covenants are not unique to the Bible. There are a lot of covenants in the Bible and they're not all what I would call divine or they do not all include God. Wednesday night, teens, we covered this. Uh, Abraham at one point is arguing with another king about some wells that somebody dug. I dug them. No, you dug them. Wait, no, we dug them. No, those are ours. And they have to... Abraham and a king go make a covenant together. They agree on how this is going to be handled. It involves promises. It involves butchering of some animals. And the butchering of the animal in a covenant is basically this. If you break your end of the covenant, I'm going to do to you what happened to this animal. You don't break covenants. 
They're, they're huge legal promises that include both parties. Some of the things God says, he's gonna make unconditional, but that doesn't make the whole covenant unconditional. When you read God's covenant with David, if is a big word. You read God reaffirming the covenant with Solomon. If, then. There are, there are conditions there. God is faithful. He will uphold his end of the covenant. People are squirrels. We run every which way to satisfy ourselves, looking for the next greatest nut, the next hot garden to rob, the next car to dodge. Like that, that, That's kind of our lives. God is faithful. God is steady. We are crazy messed up. I want to read um, the words from a few covenants. I, I put the passages there in your outline. So I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy 7. Then I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 9. Then I'm going to do 2 Chronicles 7. Um, before I do that, let me, let me tell you why I'm doing that. Understanding the covenant helps us understand Proverbs. Understanding Proverbs helps us understand the New Testament. It kind of goes in that order. You got to know the old before you get to the new. It's part of our Sunday school lesson. It's part of the context game. You need to know what he's saying, why he's saying it. So Deuteronomy 7. This is the front end of the Moses journey. God has led Israel out of Egypt. God is organizing them in the desert under the leadership of Moses. The title in, in chapter 7 in, of Deuteronomy in my Bible says, A Chosen People. And Deuteronomy 7.1 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land. So now he's talking about we're taking you to a new place. He's organizing them in the desert. He has an end game in mind. But on the way from Egypt to the promised land, God has to work on these people. He wants them to represent him to all the world. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'm reading verse 12. God is establishing a covenant with the whole nation of Israel. They agree to the terms. That's already happened. God says, I will be your God. Will you be my people? And they agree, all of them, yes. They've already entered into a covenant. So we're about to read some more descriptions of the covenant. In verse 12 of Deuteronomy 7. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep you, keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, he will bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, your grain, your wine, your oil, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples, there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you. But he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall 
consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. If you do this, I'll do this. If you'll do this, I will do this. And did you catch all the many things God said he would do to them? Material blessings. Now turn to Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9, 5. God clarifies something about this covenant. Why has he made a covenant with them? Because the tendency of the human heart is, oh, God really likes me. Look what he's done. He saved us. He's blessed us. He's protected us. He's feeding us manna, water from rocks. We are good. We must be good. That's why grandma squeezes my cheek, because I'm good. That's what she says every time. I am good. Deuteronomy 9.5. Clarification here. Uh, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. <laughs> God just said, it's not because you're good. I'm not doing this because you're a good people. In fact, I'm sending you into the promised land because of the wickedness of the nations. The Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And secondary reason, that he may confirm the word that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is giving us the promised land because we're better than those people. Nope. God is disciplining and removing those wicked people from the promised land. He's using you and your unrighteousness to do it. But if you obey God, he will count your faith, Abraham, he will count your faith to do what he says as righteousness. They're only righteous in as much as they obey and have faith in God. He's not doing all this because the Israelites are righteous people. Verse six, know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. Here's the bomb. You are a stubborn people. And that's where, my, that's where Moses would have just gone, mic drop. Right? God is not kind to you because you're lovely. God is lovely. And he's showing great kindness and mercy. He is full of it. You're full of all the wrong things. So don't get a big head about this covenant. This covenant is not about you being perfect. It's about you having faith. If you will live by faith, now for them, their faith is forward, right? Their faith is in God's promises, God's program, eventually God's Messiah. All of their faith is leaning forward, aiming forward. Our faith is looking back. We look back to the cross. We look back to the historical Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Our hope is in what has already happened. But it's the same. It's the same hope that these people were supposed to have. In Deuteronomy, their faith is looking forward. Our faith is looking backward. It's all looking to God's promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And yet, with the same kind of faith, we live in two different covenants. Proverbs 3. 
Proverbs 3 is dripping in old covenant language. All those promises from Deuteronomy 7 and 9. Got one more passage to look at. Turn to 2 Chronicles 7. This one really helps drive home the point. I'm going to read 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 18. If you've been to Hobby Lobby, you've seen this verse. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I've chosen and consecrated this house, this temple that Solomon just built and dedicated, that my name may be in that temple forever. My eyes and my heart will be in that temple for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me, there's the if, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. The context of that verse is Old Covenant. That verse does not apply to us. That verse is not for us. There are truths in that verse, principles in that verse, that are very true in the New Testament. We can go look those up another day. But there's one particular part in that that has no application to us whatsoever, not even in a spiritual sense. And it's the last line. Heal their land. That was the land of Israel, which God would strike with drought and famine and invasion and warfare if those people broke the law. If they didn't go to the temple, if they didn't pay their tithes, if they withheld their worship, if they didn't go to the festivals, God would strike their land with drought, natural disasters, or enemies. And if they wanted to get right, look at verse 15. My eyes will be open, my ears were attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. The only way to make 2 Chronicles 7, 14 valid is to pray inside of the temple. Can you do that? Can anybody do that right now? There is no temple. So it's literally impossible for you to act upon that promise from 2 Chronicles 7. One, there is no temple. Nobody can pray it, not even a Jew. And two, it's meant for the people in the Old Covenant. I don't know about you, I don't want the old covenant promises. I want Jesus. You cling to that kind of stuff. I need, our country needs to be healed. Agreed. This isn't talking about spiritual things. It's talking about a literal land that is being cursed by God. And if those people wanted it fixed, they had to go to the temple, do all the temple things, which was fulfilling the law, by the way, 
go to the priest, make the sacrifices, go to the high priesthood. They're supporting the Levites. They're supporting the Aaronic priesthood. They're doing things God's way. Then God blesses them. That's the old covenant. If you want physical blessings, you need physical obedience. That's the old covenant. I don't live in that. I live by faith in the Son of God who has already fulfilled all covenants and has cut a new covenant for me on the cross. His bloody body is my receipt. It is finished. I don't need any other promises. These passages are not all for us. Corollary to that, the church has not replaced Israel. That line right there sets me and this church apart from many of the other churches in Enid. There are a lot of churches that believe that they have replaced Israel. And by saying that, that means they can appropriate the promises that were made to Israel and claim them as their own, like Second Chronicles 7, which is not true. You can't claim that. You don't have a temple to pray in. Those are written to God's people at that time and in that place. That's, that's an abuse of scripture. I think consistent interpretation shows us that. Old covenant, not for you. New covenant, way better anyway. If I want healing, if I want all those promises from 2 Chronicles, I don't need to pray the 2 Chronicles prayer or formula. I have the Holy Spirit. They didn't. See, when you go back and you try to appropriate those things, you kind of have to also, you have to dismiss the power of the Spirit in your life today. I'm not willing to do that. I have more than they have. I have greater access than they had. I have access to the throne of grace. I don't need the throne of the temple. You see, the whole book of Hebrews is trying to pound this into the, the early Christian church. You don't need the priesthood. You don't need the old covenant. We have Jesus. Are you kidding me? Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. Well, then why are we in the book of Proverbs? Because there are spiritual principles in Proverbs that help us understand how to navigate life. It's dripping with old covenant language, but we can overlook some of the old covenant language. That's why I read through the Old Testament every single year. There are still jewels and nuggets of truth of who God is that I can apply to my life. I'm getting a better picture of God when I read Proverbs. I'm getting a picture of how God operates in believers' lives when I read Proverbs. So Proverbs 3 is deep. But Solomon is writing to an audience who understand Proverbs 3. Verse one, if our heart keeps his commandments, then he will give us longer lives. Verse three, if I bind God's love and faithfulness around my neck, write them on the tablet of my heart, verse four, then I will find favor and good success in the promised land right now. Verse five, if I trust in the Lord, if I lean on him, then he will make my path straight. Verse seven, if I'm not wise in my own eyes, if I fear the Lord, outward obedience, outward, outward, turn away from evil, then he will 
bring healing to my flesh and refreshment to my bones. Those are all old covenant promises. If, you're my, if you live like my people, Israel, then I will bless you materially with all of these things. Did it work? Are they the most prosperous, powerful nation on planet Earth right now? Why not? Why not? What happened, Travis? They broke the law and didn't keep their end of the covenant. And in the New Testament, through his parables, Jesus teaches us that they have been set aside and God is doing a mysterious new work called the church. God is going to pick them up and reuse them again. He has a purpose and a plan for Israel. Paul makes that clear in in Romans. His heart is breaking for his own people because his heart is breaking because he sees that God is setting them aside. And he himself is the preacher to the Gentiles. Breaks his heart. Those are his people. But he knows God has a purpose and a plan. So Paul knows that. Paul sees that. The church has not replaced Israel. Ah, There's my introduction. I'm done. Now to Proverbs 3. What can we learn from this passage? I really needed to set that's really, really important. It sets us apart in our way of reading the Bible, interpreting the Bible, that we have not replaced Israel. The promises do not all directly apply to us. They can't. Doesn't work that way. So here's what I want you to notice. The structure of Proverbs 3, 1 through 12 is very unique. You have verse 1, if you do this, verse 2, this will happen. So you have all the odd verses, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9. Say, live like this, do your part. And then the even verses, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. Say, here's what you will experience. 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9 say, live by faith in the covenant. Write that down. That's what it's basically saying. You live by faith in the covenant. Do what the covenant says. And it's worded in such a way, we're going to see later on, that it's not just about outward obedience, it's about wholehearted obedience. Live by the covenant. The covenant is the promises of God. It's pointing forward. God, You live by the covenant. God's going to push you forward in the covenant. It's a good thing. Live by faith in the covenant. And if you do that, one, three, five, seven, nine, then here's what you can expect for God to do in your life. Two, four, six, eight, ten. Let me summarize it for you. Health, wealth, prosperity. Can you see why it would be tempting to adopt all the promises of the Old Testament? I want health. I want wealth. I want prosperity. Every human heart wants that. You're not unique. We want a life of ease and comfort and security. We want to know that our our family can be provided for. We want to know that we can have everything we want. It's really tempting. It's really tempting. But it changes under the new covenant. Live by faith in the covenant becomes live by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the change. It, go, it changes from living for the covenant, which was aiming forward to live for Jesus. So write that down. 
Live by faith in the covenant becomes live by faith in Jesus Christ. He is the new covenant. He fulfills the covenant. And then experience the covenant blessings. Experience the material blessings. That changes. Because under the new covenant, I have all things in Christ who strengthens me. When Paul's talking about the nearness of Jesus to him, he's not talking about health, wealth, or prosperity. You know what he says? Oh, to know him. What? To know what, Eric? The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, I want to know that about Jesus. You can keep all your silver and gold. You can keep. I prayed to the Lord three times to remove this thorn from my flesh, this physical ailment, this thing that was holding me back from being all that I wanted to be. And God said, whoa, whoa, whoa. My grace is sufficient. And Paul said, got it. I want to know him. I want to know his power. I want to know his suffering. You see the contrast there between new covenant Christianity and Old Covenant Christianity. Old Covenant is, I'm serving God, and it can fall into a pattern. You can become a Pharisee. If I do this, God's gonna do this. If I do this, God is gonna do this. So what we need to do when we read Proverbs is understand that's the language Solomon's writing in. So what can I get from this? So how does that apply to me? It's about faith in Jesus and experiencing not the covenant blessings, but experiencing the fullness of God. Write this next line down. Living by faith means making real decisions for holiness. Real decisions for holiness. Because wisdom is not an accident. Looking at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. What is the principle there? The principle is honor the Lord with everything that you own. Not the leftovers either. First fruits would mean offering your first pickings to God. They're harvesting by hand, using a few limited animals, primitive tools. They've got a lot to harvest. It's going to take many days. It takes a lot of faith to take the first day's harvest and give it to God. There could be a storm tomorrow. There could be a fire in my field tomorrow. There could be a disaster tomorrow. That could be the best part of my field, and I have to eat all the junk Later on, that's the, the first fruits means off the top. The principle is honor the Lord. Anything you give to him should not be leftovers from yourself or from your stuff. You don't offer God the second half of your life. You offer God all of your life. You don't offer God five minutes in the morning. You offer to God all day. You offer to God everything. See the difference there? That's what that's the old covenant mindset, do this, get this, turns into the new covenant principle, 
honor the Lord with everything you've got and do it right off the top. Don't linger, don't wait, don't plan on honoring the Lord with that. Honor. You know, if I, if I just invest that, I'll have more to give later. Give it to him. Well, if I spend more time, give it to him. I'll pray before I go to bed. Pray when you get up. Pray over breakfast. Pray before work. Pray in the car. Pray on your lunch break. Pray in the drive-thru. Pray in the shower. Pray over dinner. Offer to the Lord. Honor the Lord at all times and all ways. Don't you dare give him the leftovers of your life. You don't want to end up with a Christianity that is six inches deep but six miles wide. You want a Christianity that is six inches wide and six miles deep. Where no wind, no storm can threaten, no drought, no fire, nothing is going to shake you because your roots are tapped directly into Jesus. That's the depth we need to have. So let's be honest, faith, faith might or might not lead to health, wealth, and prosperity. There are no promises on that. You could do everything right in your life. You could adopt six kids into your home, live by Dave Ramsey's principles, health, circumstances, and junk can take it all from you. Amen? You could do everything right. You could save $5 million in your retirement and at age 65 need a $5 million cancer treatment or organ transplant. Doesn't mean we shouldn't save. We should. We don't know what the future holds. Good stewards and Proverbs, in Proverbs, good stewards set stuff aside for rainy days. It's okay to save. We're going to learn that. That's in Proverbs. You don't eat everything you make. That's the way of the fool. But we also, we also have to acknowledge life happens no matter how much we plan. So the point is not prosperity. Next blank. The point is to experience God in all of our day-to-day decisions. Solomon's painting with broad brushstrokes. Don't forget my teaching. Bind these teachings around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. He's covering basically all the areas of life in this big picture painting, this big mural of your life, and he's focusing on a few things, and it's not the details. Details are going to come later. He's trying to capture your attention. He's trying to capture your mind. Live for God and let everything settle out on God's timing. Live for God, honor the Lord, and let him handle the details. Sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it'll look like it doesn't work. Um, I need to shoot across the bow of the prosperity gospel for just a second. No one ever experienced more of God than Jesus did right? No one has ever been closer to God the Father than Jesus. Where was Jesus's health and wealth? I'm a follower of him, right? Died young. Well, he had to do that for us. Died naked, 
didn't take anything with him. Lost even his last set of clothes to the guys who crucified him. No inheritance, nothing saved. Has to look at the apostle John and say, take care of my mother. Mother, this is your son now. Has to hand that responsibility off. Nobody has been broker than Jesus. He had nothing. Less than nothing is, well, it's still nothing. And yet, nobody's ever been richer, wealthier, and prospered in the hand of God more than Jesus. This is not my home. This is not your home. Even the home you're living in, it's not your forever home. Have you thought about that recently? Thinking about decorating something, remodeling, like, chill, pray about that. You're not gonna be there for long. Well, the rest of my life, that's not very long. Now, if your, if your wife wants to do it, it's gonna get done. Like, let her do it. Pump the brakes, right? This world is not my home. We haven't entered into God's kingdom yet. Take up my cross. These are the words of Jesus to new covenant Christians. What is your cross? Has God called you to a life of singleness? Live it well. Has God allowed you to have cancer? Taken away some physical abilities? What is your cross? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. This is Jesus' way of saying, suck it up. Whatever God gives you, live for God anyways. Don't let anything stop you from living for God. Honor Him, trust Him, fear Him, and He will make your path straight. It's eerily similar, the words of Jesus and Solomon, because they're talking about the same thing. They're talking about loving God, not just outwardly obeying God, but making him the focus of your entire life. Verses 11 and 12 sum it up like this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Write this down. Solomon acknowledges, even in the old covenant living, discipline and reproof will come. Don't despise it when it comes. But I fulfilled all of the old covenant. Nobody did, man. Come on. You're going you're gonna to sin in one way, shape, or another. There's going to be something happen. Just life. So Solomon even plugs that in. Even if you're living the old covenant perfectly, Solomon says, you're still going to get disciplined by God. And in verse 12, the lo- for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Suffering does not diminish love. When you suffer, it doesn't mean God loves you less. Solomon says the exact opposite. When you suffer, it might mean God loves you a lot. He's not letting you go on the same forever. He's walloped you upside the head with suffering. So you recalibrate your life and you rethink it. Am I living for God? Have I gotten off track? Am, I'm back. I'm, I'm back. Should, like every time you get sick, you need to think of that. Whoop! God knows I needed a reboot. 
man, this is terrible. When am I going to reboot? Reboot. Back. I'm back. God, thank you. Thank you even for my sickness. Thank you even for my pain. Thank you even for the loss of my loved ones. It's always a chance to reboot your attention, to reimagine your faith, and place it back in Jesus. We need that every day. Every single day. I heard this quote this week. The greatest lives are marked by the greatest clarity. <laughs> I liked that. Some nobody at a BBFI preaching conference I was watching online. Never heard of this guy. Doesn't matter. I don't even, maybe he stole this from somebody else. I mean, maybe he quoted somebody else. Could be. That's what Solomon is trying to do for us. He's trying to help us with our clarity. Listen, one more time. Listen to some of these words in Proverbs 3 and tell me what he is trying to clearly express to us. Let your heart keep God's commandments. Verse 1. Verse 3. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Verse 7. Fear the Lord. Verse 9, honor the Lord. Those are really clarifying words that make your faith not about what you do, but who you love. Even in the Old Covenant, Solomon sees this is a heart issue, not a law issue. I love that. That's why Proverbs is good for us. He comes back to the issue, it's a matter of your heart. So as we try to live with clarity... Here's what we need to do to experience more of God in your life. You need to move from transactions into relationship. Stop thinking your faith is about what I do for God. If I do this, he'll do this. No. I'm doing this so I can know him better. I'm doing this so I can get to understand him better. I'm doing this because I love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. I'm not living by that old covenant mindset, which is around in a lot of people today. If I do this, he will do this. If I raise my children in the admonition of the Lord, then they will never depart from him. That is not for you. You're not raising your kids in the old covenant. That's old covenant. You see how people can fly off the rails when one of those old covenant promises that they've appropriated in their life doesn't happen, that can wreck your faith because you put your faith in the covenant instead of in Jesus. God doesn't have promises anywhere that if we raise our kids a certain way that they're gonna be safe and secure and in Jesus' arms. That is a person-by-person -person relationship issue so don't make it a transaction. That's deep. I need to hear that. I need to live that. Proverbs is guarding us against that. Even, even as Old Testament, Old Covenant language, there's enough. There's a lot of truth in there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is a good poster. That is worth putting up in your house. Lean not on your own understanding. That's deep. Because you think you know how to do life, you don't. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Well, I've got a business degree. I don't need to acknowledge the Lord in my business. I can do things. No, you can't. 
Don't outthink God. Need a case study for that? Read the rest of Solomon's life. He tried to outthink God. Fail. Last line. Living by faith fulfills all the covenants. Even if the covenants are different, when we live by faith in Jesus, we'll take care of everything we need. So stand with me as we pray. I want to ask you, how is your holiness right now? Living by faith is about making real decisions for holiness, about experiencing God. Is there anything between you and God right now? Any sin? Any doubt? Any suffering? Bow your heads, close your eyes, and think about your life for just a second. What are you really scared of right this minute? God, I don't want to lose. God, I don't want to. God, I'm scared of. When Proverbs says to trust in the Lord with all your heart, it doesn't mean to stop being afraid. It means to give your fears to God. Let Him work out the details. Let Him straighten your path. Let Him slowly but surely show you His ways. He might show you His ways as you read the Bible. He might show you His ways if you'll buckle down and pray for an hour. He might show you His ways if you learn to fast or give or serve the needy. He might show you His ways through a sermon or a podcast or a song. He might show you His ways through a brother or sister in Christ that you haven't taken out for coffee yet, that you haven't yet met in a small group. God wants to work in your life. Look for it. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as a needy people. And what we need are not more material blessings. What we need is your presence. And not just your presence when it's warm and delightful and when we are singing and everything's going great. We need your presence when we are broken and empty and needy. So we give you permission to do what needs to be done so that our hearts and our minds, our hearts will love you, our hearts will trust you. We will have the appropriate fear and love of you as our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>
chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>